Thank you, Pete. It is so great to be with you, All Shores. I have actually known about this church since I was like a teenager, okay? So you guys are like a place on the map. I'm from central Indiana, and about a year ago, our family moved to Hudsonville, and we do work with the region and helping churches all across three states to become stronger and to multiply out. And so my husband, John, and I do that together. John and my son are here with us this morning. My daughter's downstairs with the kids. I actually have a cute picture of them. And aren't they cute? That's Dean and Dayana. Aw, Dean's 12, Dayana's nine. They're so much fun. And they're excited to be here with you guys too. I have several friends and people I went to college with. I went to Indiana Wesleyan University who have done residencies or internships here. I also have friends who have worked here and I won't tell you who they are because I'm afraid you'll judge me based on those characters. And so if you wanna know who they are, I'll tell you afterwards. But this is an incredible church that is sending people out on mission. It is sending people around the world. It is training up leaders and pastors. Lots of exciting things are happening at All Shores. And so we're just blessed and excited to be here with you guys. Plus it's Christmas time and who doesn't love Christmas, right? So we're in the middle of a Christmas series, The Promise, and I love that we are thinking of the promises that are given to us at Christmas time, while also reflecting on this season of Advent. And so Pastor Thad started off the series, and just so you know, he was my youth pastor way back when, and if you're trying to figure out like, how old is this chick? Way younger than Thad, okay? <laughs> so that's clear, just wanted to make that really obvious up front. That was a really, really long time ago, but really cool just to be back with a lot of people that I know and a lot of people that I love. We've spent some time with your staff and you have incredible leaders at this church. And I know that you love and appreciate them. You can give them, you can clap for them. They work really hard to lead you. And I know that you have so many amazing leaders in this church and we're just excited to be a part of what God's doing here at All Shores. So we've talked about hope and we've talked about peace and today we get to talk about joy. And I was really excited to talk about joy because in general, I'm like a really happy person. And so joy felt easy and it felt fun. But the more I really thought about joy, I realized joy is so much more than happiness. It's not something you can muster up within yourself. It's not a simple feeling. It's more of a deep spiritual emotion, something that you need, supernaturally need the Holy Spirit to work and move in your life to find. And so we're gonna talk a little bit about joy, people that found joy in the Bible. But when we're at Christmas time, you know, joy is kind of like the obvious thing we want to talk about. We may not always completely understand what it is, but we know it's, it's similar to this happiness, but it's powerful and it's loud. I kind of think of Elf, you know, like the movie Elf, how excited he is about everything in life that kind of feels like joy. Well, our family, we are big Christmas movie people. Is anybody here like you love Christmas movies, whether you're like the Hallmark on all day person or these traditional movies, whatever that may be. We love Christmas movies in our house. And I think part of it is because my kids sit still for two hours. So we're like, okay, like let's just have a movie and have them sit still. Well, of course they do love Elf, but they also love the movie Home Alone. And so I have this little picture of our son. He is an awesome, kid, now a preteen. Are there any parents of preteens in the room? Anybody? Preteen? Nope. Teenagers. Okay. You're in that middle space. This is a unique time, right, to be parenting preteens and teens. Well, I want to brag on my son for just a minute. He has the most sensitive and gentle heart, and he just has a heart for people. 
We can't really even talk about people that are hungry or people that are homeless, and he'll just say, stop, like, don't talk about it. It really, like, physically breaks his heart. And so two Christmases ago, him and his best buddy had felt like they wanted to give homeless people stockings. They were thinking, like, we get stockings, we get all these wonderful gifts and all these things, and what about people who have nothing? And so they went and bought all these supplies, put together stockings for people that could really use some of the things, the personal items that they were going to put in these stockings. And we got the privilege as a family to deliver these stockings on Christmas Eve to the shelter. So we get to the shelter. This is somewhere in central Indiana. And we bring all these stockings in and the director's there and she thanks Dean and she asks about like, why did they do this? Takes us on a tour, all these beautiful things. And so my daughter is tagging along. There's a little picture of how cute and little she was just two years ago, looking like a Christmas angel. And she's taking it all in and she's kind of feeling like the joy and, you know, like getting excited about like Christmas is in the morning. And well, you'll notice Dean's hat. He has a Home Alone themed hat. It says, Merry Christmas, you filthy animals. Okay? Because we think that's funny. And so she's starting to really feel that joy and we're, we're heading out and there's some people kind of waiting outside for the soup kitchen and some of the residents are hanging out on the sidewalk and we get in the car and we're like, Dean, we're so proud of you for having that heart and blessing those people. It was so beautiful. And, you know, my daughter's just kind of standing by and watching and getting kind of excited and Christmas is in the morning. And so she rolls down the window and she leans out and there's this crowd of people and she says, Merry Christmas, you filthy! And my husband like grabs her coat and jerks her back into the van <laughs> because she was gonna scream at these poor people on Christmas Eve, Merry Christmas, you filthy animals. I don't even know if they would have known why she was saying that. Of course, we would know why. And so we kind of stopped her. But then I thought, that's really like joy. Like she felt it. She was like, I have to express to these people that it's Christmas Eve, something exciting. Merry Christmas, you have And he pulls her back in. And I was thinking, man, like that's joy, right? Like she's seven years old. It's just like bubbling up inside. It's deep, deep, deep in her soul. That's the kind of joy I would love for all of us to experience this Christmas. Some of you are like, yeah, that's cute. You don't even know what's happening in my life. I don't think I can muster up joy. Like, I don't think I have that deep inside of me. So today we're just gonna talk a little bit about that. How do we either, if we have it, continue on with it, if we've lost it or we struggle to find it, come to grips with that and seek the Father's heart for that and allow this holiday season to really be a season of real, true joy. So we're gonna look first in the book of Isaiah. If you have your Bibles, I have a Bible on this big fancy TV. And we're gonna start in Isaiah chapter 40. So this is in Isaiah. This is where we're gonna find our original promise. And it's a prophet saying that there's gonna be a voice of one calling. In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up. Every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So this is a prophecy of the fact that, yes, a Messiah and a Savior is coming, but there's going to be a voice who's announcing this and making sure that this is crystal clear, that people don't miss this, that there's no roadblocks, that the pathway is clear, and that people are aware that this is coming. 
So we're gonna move on to another character who's gonna help us figure out where that prophecy was coming from. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter one. And when you're in Luke, you know that you're getting into the Christmas story thing. But today we're not gonna talk about Mary necessarily or Joseph or even baby Jesus. We're gonna talk about a different family that ends up smack dab in the middle of the Christmas story. And it's all gonna come together and you'll see why. In Luke chapter one, we're gonna start with verses 11 and 12. We're finding out about this man named Zechariah. So Zechariah is a priest and he works in the temple. And so, you know, when I've read this in the past, I always thought, right, of course the priest is gonna be in the temple. But it actually turns out, it's not like a job, like necessarily as pastors have right now, where like, oh, it's my turn to go into the temple and burn the incense, like I'm on call or whatever. It's literally like you get the chance to do that. The priests would have to cast for a lot to find out who gets to go inside the temple to burn the incense for worship. And so on this particular day, it's Zachariah's opportunity, not his duty. He gets to be in the temple to do this on this specific day. I'm gonna read to you. He says, so he's sitting in the temple. He gets this opportunity. He's there. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. You know, this kind of always happens in the Bible, right? Like an angel shows up, they freak out. I don't know why. It must not have been all that common, right? They're just like, whoa. It must have been so off-putting and so shocking and obviously not something that was happening every time someone was in the temple. So this is something special. But the angel says to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. And he's probably at this point thinking like, what prayer? He says, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to call him John. So he gets these really, this really unlikely statement that his wife is gonna have a baby. Spoiler alert, his wife is old, okay? So like they are pretty much well past this, have never had children. And so they kind of like, that ship has sailed. So he's probably sitting here thinking, really? That's really interesting because we're, um, you know, sort of past that. You know, we kind of thought that ship had absolutely for sure sailed. It was a joy maybe we were never gonna have. When you think about this timing, right? Like it's in the middle of the Christmas story. Why would this be happening right alongside something else that we all know is coming, right, with Mary? Well, this baby is actually going to be a joy, he's gonna be a delight, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. So this baby, they don't know who this character yet is, but he's that character that we are talking about back in Isaiah when they say there's gonna be one who goes into the wilderness preparing the way, which is John the Baptist. In our family, we've always joked and said like, we kind of feel like our nativity should have a John the Baptist. I kind of picture him almost like Tom Hanks in that shipwreck movie where he's like living on the island, you know, like this rough and tumble guy with like this crazy hair. I don't know if we should get like a little G.I. Joe guy and like wrap some fur on him. But like, he really is a part of this nativity Christmas Advent story that's kind of unlikely because he's not necessarily like in the nativity, but maybe he should be. So he's looking and he says, okay, so we're gonna have a kid, that's crazy. And he's kind of like a big deal, right? Like he's gonna bring people back from lost into light. He's gonna bring light into the darkness. This is kind of a big responsibility. 
We all kind of have the same responsibility as Jesus' followers. If we know him, we are on the same mission that John the Baptist was on, to show his love, to prepare the way for people to experience Jesus through our lives. I love these boxes. I think this is super cool and super creative and a really tangible way for us to prepare the way for other people. I know you guys have your Frank list and I love that. I think that's beautiful. And obviously this is a great tool to use for those people. But in the blessed model, you know, the L stands for listen. And when I think about how I share my faith with people and how I look for people who are looking for hope, especially at Christmas time, I have three simple words that I use. And I just wanna encourage you to think about some people in your life that may be seriously looking for hope and they really don't know where to find it. And they may not even be on your frank list. In fact, it might be somebody that you find kind of annoying. Somebody that you're like, you know what? They have a bad attitude or this coworker drives me nuts. Well, guess what? They might need Jesus. And you might be the person that he has placed there to invite them into relationship with him. At Christmas time, especially in 2020, like I think about even just this last week with school shootings happening in our state, with threats of school shootings happening all across the country, we are in weird times, right? Like we've come through 2020, we're in, we went, we're in 2021, we're hoping for 2022, right? Like we thought 2021 was the like glory year, didn't really turn out that way. Now we're all putting our hope into 2022. There may be people in your day-to-day -day life who are going through what I call one of three T's. They're either going through a tragedy, and some people in this room and some people watching online have spent this year in deep tragedy. They've had loss, deep hurt, deep pain, and that's the right place where we can say, I wanna prepare a way for you to meet Jesus. I want you to find the joy that I found in Jesus in this trial. Or it may be that they're just in attention. We were talking about parenting teenagers, that can be really tense. There may be tension in your marriage, there may be tension in your job. Maybe somebody you know has tension in their life. Again, this is a great place to just prepare the way for them to meet Jesus. Or maybe they're just going through a transition, like maybe having a new baby, or maybe they've just moved. We just moved here from Indianapolis area, and moving to a new place in a pandemic is hard. Like, how do we make friends? How do we meet people? We met everybody with a mask. So I'm like, I don't even really know what that person looks like. I might not even recognize them if they didn't have a mask, you know? That's again, a right place. Maybe they've just had a new baby or they're moving. A transition in your life is a great place to go, hmm, that could be a wide open door for me to share my faith and prepare the way for that person to find Jesus. When you're thinking of people that you can bring joy to, who comes to mind? Who are you gonna give a box to? Who are you gonna pray for? Who are you gonna open doors to prepare the way? How can your life be a beacon of hope because of your love for Jesus. Again, there's people that you love and care about and you desperately want them to know Jesus, but there may be people that you really don't enjoy being around, but there may be a reason for that tension with you that you are there to open doors so that they can meet Jesus. We're gonna see how Zachariah responds to this news that he was given. So he asks the angel, with this big crazy news, how can I be sure of this? Like, because I'm an old man, and my wife is uh, well along in years. He's very respectful, right? He's not like, we're both old. He's like, I'm old, she's well along in years. He's being very kind to his wife. And the angel says to him, I am Gabriel. 
I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now, you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. So the angel's like, look, dude, like you didn't trust me. And so now there's gonna be a problem. I'm gonna teach you to trust me, to trust the Lord in me. And now you can't speak until this baby's born, which by the way is probably about nine months. So for nine months, he can't speak. Now for me, that's like torture. Some of you introverts are like, that'd be fine. I wouldn't mind. Give me nine months not to talk. All right. I'm guessing that's not the case because this is why, this is what they chose, what the angel chose to do to Zechariah to say like, I'm gonna teach you to trust. Stop asking me questions. Just shut your mouth and trust me. When I think of this, I'm thinking, hmm, if an angel came to me, what would I do? Well, pro tip, number one, they always tell the people, don't be afraid, and they're always afraid. So if an angel comes to you, don't be afraid. The second thing is, if they tell you something's gonna happen, you should probably just trust them. Trust that God has a plan and he knows what he's doing, or there could be this consequence. Well, there comes a plot twist. Remember how I said, we're talking about Elizabeth and Zechariah and John the Baptist, but there's right in the middle of this story, we find out that Elizabeth and Mary are cousins. And there's this super cool interaction when they're both pregnant and they come together. And the spirit that's connecting John the Baptist to Jesus in their mother's wombs, John the Baptist, this crazy guy, baby, jumps in his mother's womb. Okay, if you've ever been pregnant, it's really weird. Okay, sorry guys, you've never experienced this, but it is weird. It's like an alien inside of you, okay? But then to imagine this baby, it might move around a little bit, but jumping, like I can't even imagine what that must have felt like. And poor Elizabeth, she's well along in years. She's probably like, dude, like what kind of baby do I have here, right? Like I know he's special, I know this angel came and everything, but what is happening? I think it's so neat to think about how they were already connected within their mother's wombs. So we're gonna move on to when the baby is gonna be born, okay? So this very exciting, energetic baby is gonna come and we're gonna name him and we're gonna see kind of what happens. So it's time for Elizabeth to have her baby and she gives birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy brought her this huge surprise of joy, very unexpected at this point in her life, and they shared her joy. They were so excited. I don't know if you've ever had somebody close to you who couldn't get pregnant, and they either do get pregnant and you just are so excited for them, or people who are just desperately wanting to be parents and they are getting an adoption and you're just so happy for them. I imagine that's the kind of feeling these people were having about this amazing miracle of Elizabeth having a baby, and they come and they share her joy. So it's time to name the baby. And Elizabeth is like, his name's gonna be John. Like, angel came to my husband, that's the plan. And they're like, well, that doesn't really make a lot of sense. Like, John, your husband's Zechariah. It's your only baby, your first baby. Obviously, it should be named Zechariah. Like, that's what we do here. And she's like, no, it has to be John, which happens to be my husband's name, which is also the most common name in America, just so you know. also Juan in Mexico. So he's like, it's really a pretty basic name, but they're making it very clear. Like it's just John. Well, they look at Zechariah, like, why would you do this? Like, what are you thinking? Are you confused? Are you sure this is the right thing? And he asks for a writing tablet. To everyone's astonishment, he writes, his name is John. 
Like, I don't know how to make this more clear. I can't say it to you, but I am going to go ahead and write it down. And immediately upon writing that on the tablet, his mouth was opened and his tongue was set free. He began to speak. He was praising God and all the neighbors were filled with awe. And throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all of these things. So this miracle happens, not just of the birth, but then he's able to speak after not being able to speak for nine months because he was obedient and he did exactly what the Lord had asked and everyone got to experience that. We call these signs and wonders. And I feel like personally, like in 2021 and in 2020 and probably to come in 2022, this is what we need. People need to see real, authentic faith. They need to see things, miracles happening that we can say, God did that. That is real. This is something that is not like an idea in my head. It's real life and it's happening right now and you can experience that. So the baby comes. His name John means that he's graced by God. When I think about the grace of God, I do. I think about Christmas and I think about the birth of a savior and the way that he came. But when you're like thinking right now at Christmas time, there's a lot of chaos that can surround our holidays. And you might be thinking of like, how Elizabeth might have felt and think, wow, like she must have been in a desperate place and that must have been so beautiful to experience that joy. I know for me, even though I'm a pastor and I'm a Christian and I've been a Christian for a long time and I'm a happy and I am a joyful person, I've had those moments where joy was really hard to find. When I was pregnant with my daughter, she's nine, so about nine years ago, I just started getting really sick and nobody really knew why. And it was blatantly exhausting. We were pastors, we were church planters, which means you're starting from scratch. You're working your tail off to grow a congregation, to reach your community for Jesus. We've got a two-year-old hyperactive little boy. We've got this little infant baby and a very sick mom. And in the process of about seven years, I had to have two surgeries that were unexpected. One surgery, they had to have me go to Chicago because they said there's no one in the Indianapolis area that can do what you need. I was seeing these doctors called infectious disease doctors who are people that deal with the worst of the worst cases of infections. And this was all happening within my head and my sinuses. And when he was seeing the kind of stuff that was happening to me, he said, this is impressive. That's not the person you want to impress, just so you know. Like they see the worst of the worst and he's saying, you've got some serious stuff going on. I had another doctor in one of my practices who said, you're the most complex patient in my entire practice. I'm like, great, that's encouraging. <laughs> in that same office, twice, I had full anaphylaxis and they had to call an ambulance because my body was absolutely shutting down. Talk about scary, talk about a flash with reality. So in the process of trying to figure out what's happening and surgeries, I ended up, I don't know if anyone here has ever had chronic headaches or migraines, but I had one six month migraine that never let up all day, every day, with any medication, with hospital IVs, nothing. And as well, after those two, the six month, I had two four month migraines that never let up. Bright lights I couldn't handle, loud noise I couldn't handle. There were times I would just sit covered up in our living room, but like life had to go on. Like we were on a mission, we had things to do, we had kids to take care of, we had a church to grow. And it was hard to find joy. I remember one moment following one of the surgeries, I really thought I was gonna die. Like the pain I was experiencing was significantly worse than childbirth, I can tell you that loud and clear. And I was laying in our bed and I told John, 
I think I might die. I don't want to go to the hospital. I think I'd rather die in my quiet room because I couldn't imagine being in a hospital. I couldn't imagine the noise. I couldn't imagine the bright lights. In that moment, I did find joy saying, I know where I'm going if this does end, but it was desperation. It was no joy. And this went on for seven years. (laughs) Seven years of back and forth and pain and nonstop and we don't know what's wrong and I can't help you, they can. They can't help you, they can. And playing back and forth, researching my own doctors, trying to figure out what to do. And they finally came together and realized I had a piece of my immune system that didn't work. And it took them a very long time to figure that out. And so I was on a treatment for four years of sometimes once a week getting infusions at home and my husband had to become a nurse. He's a pastor and had to learn to put needles into my body and sit there and it was hard to find joy. It was nearly impossible to find joy. But I knew in my heart of hearts, the only way I could find that joy is to reconnect with my savior. And we made it through. (laughs) I gotta admit, joy's easier to find on this side. I feel so much better. I'm in a great treatment plan. I'm off of the infusions. I feel like a new person. But I'm with you if you're in that place where you're going, you don't know my story. You don't know my pain emotional pain, physical pain. You don't know my battle with anxiety. You don't know what's happening with my kids. You don't know what's happening with my grandkids. You don't know what I hold inside of my heart. But maybe I do. And for sure the Lord does. And so he's saying to you, even with the hardest things of the hard things, I'm here, I'm calling you, and I'm drawing you into joy. I'm your source of joy. I have a couple of questions for you. If you need joy, how can you take time this Christmas season to connect with your heavenly father? How can you connect to the source of joy, whether that's through services like the Blue Christmas? If you don't feel that way, come. Maybe that's a connection point for you. I remember during the pandemic, you're like, you know, like, I kind of miss church. And then you get to this point where you're like, I really miss church. And now we're at this point, like we can be together as the body. Maybe that's a place that you're connecting with the Lord. Maybe it's alone in your private times of worship or in your times of reading the Bible. How are you connecting to the source of joy? How will you allow the celebration of Christ to become joy in your own life? Maybe it's through sharing it with kids or grandkids. Maybe it's through sharing it with your neighbors. Maybe it's through these invitations and preparing the way for other people to experience joy. Maybe you're this other person who's like, hey, Danielle, sorry about your struggle with joy. I actually have felt really joyful for the last 10 or 20 years, you know, like God is good in my life. That's great. I don't want you to feel like, man, I feel like I have to have a struggle to find joy. Some people really have found that deep, abiding joy. And we need more of you. We need more people who are living and walking a daily life of joy because it's contagious. Other people sense that. Other people feel that. And they're experiencing Jesus through that. We, when I was a kid, I grew up at a camp actually with Patrick. I think I saw him somewhere. Um, we would sing this cute little song about joy. And I remember as a really little girl, trying to understand what is joy, like we talk about it a lot at church, but they, said, they sang this little song and it went, Jesus and others in you, what a wonderful way to spell joy. And the J puts Jesus first. The O puts others second. And the Y puts you last. Like take your focus off yourself for a minute and focus first on Jesus, then focus on others and then give yourself the attention that you need. But when you're putting your priorities in line, things really come together. 
I was thinking of, you know, a time in my life when that has been true, when we really put Jesus and others first, how that creates joy. And it's amazing how even if you're trying to share joy with somebody else, it ends up reflecting back to you. And so during the pandemic in 2020, it was Easter, pastors all across the globe were like, how are we going to celebrate Easter without like holding church? Like it was just messing everybody up. Like, how does this even happen? What does this even look like? And where we were at in central Indiana, there was this very large assisted living complex. I actually have a picture of it here that was full. This is one side of like six sides of this massive complex where people were living in their little apartments. And of course, group living, right, during the pandemic is like one of the most dangerous places to be. And so they were literally locked into their houses like jail cells. And some of them have porches, which is lovely, but some of them just have like a screened in window. And they could only see their family if they were on the third or fourth floor, like from the phone down in the car, like severely distanced from their family. They couldn't see each other. They had to stay in their rooms, food brought to their door, right? Like pretty intense place to be. They're in the prime of their life. They are gonna celebrate Easter alone, like in their little cells, basically. And so they called us and said, hey, any chance that on Easter morning, you could get up um, in the dark and do a sunrise service for our residents? And so we thought, wow, that sounds interesting. And it it sounded like the right thing to do, right? Like these people are in a hard place. It sounded safe. Because remember, this is when we were all like afraid to go anywhere or do anything. And I think about this moment and I realize this is the picture of Jesus first, others second, and ourselves last. So we get our kids up in the dark. We get in the car and they're like, what are we doing? We're so tired, you know? And we're like, just trust us. Like God's calling us to go do this for these people. And I thought, oh, it'll just be a really quick little thing. Play a couple songs, say a couple nice things. Happy Easter, he is risen and leave. And we get there. (laughs) And they're waiting for us. (laughs) They have their little screen doors open. Just looking through the screen. The screens don't even open all the way. Like they're locked in. They may have a balcony. Some of them are standing on the balcony. They've got song sheets. Somebody had slipped music under their little doors. And they're expecting to celebrate Easter somewhat alone, (laughs) but on their little balconies and in their little windows with a little tiny speaker and people wearing masks, you know, playing some Southern gospel on the radio, which they were loving. And I am amazed at the, the way that when we came to show them joy, the joy reflected back into me so quickly. John could hardly speak on the microphone. I could hardly sing. I was trying to make a Facebook live video because remember like we had nothing to do. So everybody's like sharing what's happening in their life on Facebook. And you'll just see me like, this is a tearjerker. Like I can barely talk. I'm overcome with the depth of emotion of what happens when you reflect that love and you reflect that joy on them and it comes back to you. So here's the picture of some of them. Just worshiping, smiling, and experiencing the joy of Easter in one of the hardest times of their lives, no doubt, for sure the loneliest. And when we've put Jesus first and others second and ourselves last, we got to have an opportunity that it might've been one of my favorite moments in the last 25 years of my life. Just saying, out of obedience, we're here to serve you, we're here to share love with you and share joy with you. When I think of this Christmas time, the birth of Christ brings a joy that we get to bring to the world around us. 
So go and spread the joy of the Lord this Christmas. I wanna pray for you. I wanna pray for those of you in the room who haven't experienced that joy. And I also wanna pray for those of you who have, that you would allow that to multiply out of your heart, that the love that you have and the joy that you found would ripple out into the lives of people who need it. And man, if you're here and you're like, I've had that before, Danielle, but it's gone. I wanna pray for you. And I wanna pray that somehow this season, little by little, piece by piece, that the Lord would spark joy in your heart and in your life, and that you would be surprised, like Zachariah and Elizabeth were surprised, and that this spark of joy would just begin to burn inside of your heart. So let's pray. God, we thank you for this time and this space in the Christmas season to reflect on you and reflect on your love and to hear about these people, Lord, that we can learn so much from We can learn from their obedience. We can learn from their disobedience. We can learn from their lack of trust. God, we can learn from the way that they experience joy, the way that they share joy, the way that their belief in you replicated out and brought light to dark places. Lord, today I pray for the people in this room who either have never experienced joy or they've lost joy. God, I just pray that little by little, glimmer by glimmer, you would draw them closer to you, Jesus that at Christmas time, they would experience love, they would experience peace, but they would also experience joy, that they would find hope in this Christmas story and that this little flame would just begin to burn brighter of joy, even when it's hard, Lord, that you would be there and that you would be so real and tangible to them. Lord, for people who've never, ever experienced joy, Jesus, I pray that they would trust in you today, that they would say, that joy that I'm promised I do want that in my life and that they would say yes to you today. And Lord, for those people who have experienced your joy, who have peace and hope in their lives and in their hearts, and they do share it, but Lord, that they would find more people to share that with, whether it's the people that are very, very close to them, people that they aren't expecting to share hope, love, and joy with, Jesus, that you would just bring those faces to mind right now or throughout this week when they're meeting people or interacting with people who are going through hard things, Lord, that they would prepare the way for those people to experience your joy. And I pray, God, that the communities around us would be changed because of the obedience and willingness of this group of people to say, we trust you, we believe in you, we know that your joy is real and we want that joy for other people. So we give this time and we give our hearts and our lives to you and we pray this in your name, amen.